You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Hello, everyone. My name is Susie Squire, president of the Retail and Hospitality ISAC. And I'm Ian Furr, our security integrations engineer, and this is the RH ISAC podcast. Ian, it's so great to have you on the podcast with us today. I think this is your first episode with us, right? So can you give us a quick introduction for yourself for our listeners? Yeah, thanks, Susie. I'm glad to be here. So like I mentioned, my name is Ian Furr, and I am our security integrations engineer. And my primary responsibilities are helping maintain our two threat intelligence platforms, MISP and TrueStar, as well as developing integrations for those platforms. That way our members can use that data more effectively. Before joining the ISAC, I was a security consultant uh, with specialization in pen testing, and I spent a lot of time doing purple team exercises. Well, great. Well, we're so excited to have you as part of the team and really looking forward to uh, unveiling our missed instance to the membership at the summit, right? Yeah, I'm actually doing a presentation on that with uh, one of our analysts, JJ. So I'm really excited about that. Awesome. I am too. Well, we've invited Ian on the show today to interview one of our members, Jordan Bodley, who is Infrastructure Security Engineer at Big Commerce. We love spotlighting our members on our blog and in our podcast and our newsletters. So Ian, what can you tell us about Jordan and what the spotlight's going to be on? Yeah, so I had a chance to kind of read over Jordan's member spotlight on the blog, and I think we've got a lot to talk about, and everybody's really going to love it. It was really great to chat with him about his experience in the field and get a glimpse into what his side of the industry looks like. So after I sit down with Jordan, our second segment today features Troy Leach and Jim Reeves of the Cloud Security Alliance, and they're going to give us a glimpse into the future of cybersecurity with a discussion on developing trends like blockchain and post-quantum cryptography. Cloud Security Alliance is a nonprofit, great partner to us for some thought leadership. So I encourage everyone to listen into it. It's going to preview some of the information that's going to be at the Cyber Intelligence Summit coming up less than a month away in Plano, Texas. So if you are listening and you haven't registered for that event, please make sure to visit the summit website and join us because we're really excited to have our members and some potential members there to join us for the event. And I'm going to turn it over to you and to Jordan to get things started. Sounds good. I'm here with Jordan Bodley, the infrastructure security engineer at Big Commerce. Jordan is this month's member spotlight, which means we're going to chat a little bit with him about how he got into cybersecurity and how he's benefiting from being involved in the RHISAC sharing community. So Jordan, do you want to start us off just by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your background? Yeah, certainly. So I'm Jordan Bodley. Currently, I am an infrastructure security engineer with BigCommerce. I've been in security for about three and a half years now. Originally, didn't know what I wanted to do. I ended up joining BigCommerce about five and a half years ago as a support agent. Before I joined, I lived up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I knew I wanted to come back to Austin. Uh, I needed a reason <laughs> to get to Austin. Yeah. Um, and luckily, BigCommerce gave me the opportunity to do that. So when I joined, like I said, I did originally work as support, worked overnight. And luckily, that actually kind of worked out to my advantage. At the time, our single security person happened to be in Sydney, Australia. So my days, if you yep. will, <laughs> uh, were, were his days, too. And so about a year into my job, I 
finally, I finally reached out to him to understand like what cybersecurity was, you know, how to get into it. And around the same time, I actually reconnected with an old manager about a dozen years beforehand um, at a previous job. And he was actually into cybersecurity. And so between the two of them, I got to discuss different certifications, what the industry as a whole looked like, and really understand where I wanted to fit, if at all, in this field. So about a year after that, after loads and loads of I would say late nights, but I work <laughs> nights anyways, but <laughs> more like long days. I was going to say, did that make it early mornings? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would. Yeah, so I mean, I at the time, like I would get home around like 8 o'clock in the morning and then I would stay up till like noon, you know, 1 o'clock and uh, just studying and playing around and kind of understanding things. And uh, yeah, luckily, you know, it all paid off in the end. And yeah, so year after making that connection, I was able to join the security team Start off as a uh, analyst team was super super small, still is you know fairly small too. But we've we've grown pretty nicely over the last couple of years. So after being an analyst, several months after that, I remember we went to uh, Hacker Halted, which was done by EC Council. We went to that conference in uh, I think it was like October of 2019. I want to say, and yeah, so went went there, got our CEH, met a lot of really cool people. There were some other podcasts that I happened to follow and I actually got to meet some of them at that conference, which was really cool. I bought some swag from them. (laughs) And uh, I actually did my first capture the flag at that conference. We got second place, which was pretty cool. (laughs) That's a heck of a way to get started with capture the flags. Yeah. Especially coming out with second place. Congrats. (laughs) Yeah, appreciate it. But yeah, it was our first conference and our first, like, you know, formal certification and I think without doing it, things would have been rougher, you know, to say the least, because we got a lot of exposure between podcasts, just meeting people in the industry and really understanding like a lot of the terminology, Mm -hmm. I think is really what set us up for success in the long run. Yeah. So you mentioned CEH, Certified Ethical Hacker. Uh, What other types of training have you done to kind of get you into the role that you're in now? Yeah, certainly. So before I actually got on the security team, I did a lot of Udemy and VulnHub. I believe that's still a thing nowadays. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> One of, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I started with Udemy basically to kind of understand the principles and ideas. I'm sure everyone has heard of Professor Messer. Uh, a lot of it, like, there's a lot of, like, CompTIA, I guess, information that he does or a lot of certifications that he does. Uh, and I will say I did actually study multiple CompTIA certs, never actually took them, um, unfortunately. But I do still have all the super thick CompTIA <laughs> books sitting yeah. in my office right now. <laughs> I mean, and, if nothing else, those give you a really good background. And even without taking the actual certification tests or whatnot, it gives you a good base because starting just jumping straight into cybersecurity is never really an easy thing. No, yeah, you're right. It's not. Just when you think you have an understanding of what it's like, you go into day one and you're like, wow, this is a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you <yeah>. know, <laughs> a lot of people in the industry love to say it's like drinking from a fire hose. And mm-hmm. I am really inclined to agree with them because at the start, there's just so much out there that it's kind of hard to grasp where you want to go with it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But no, I mean, that's. That I mean, that's why I love it. I mean, it is like Jacob from a fire hose. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So that really goes into how you got your start as an analyst. But how has your job kind of grown into what you're doing day to day now at Big Commerce? Yeah. So when I first became an analyst, you know, uh, being fed by the fire hose, they couldn't have been more true then because 
there was only a handful of us, and we were just absolutely uh, inundated with work yeah. um, at the time. So while while it was a great learning experience, one I was not ready for, uh, but two, like I said, like, <laughs> like, yeah. like, like I said, it's um, I was not ready for it. I'm glad it happened. It's very much a love-hate relationship because I know I sacrificed a lot during the first year onto the job. And then once acquiring my first certification, that was kind of, I think, the big milestone for me. I remember right after we got our CEA, one of the first things that we actually did is I came back to Austin and talked with our IT team. And like the very next week, we did a formal pen test of the corporate network. Cool. To, it was. And it was, I remember being super, super nervous during <laughs> it. Not so much about do I understand what I'm doing. I, I was actually pretty comfortable with that aspect. Mm-hmm. But it was the fact of what if I do something bad and like something goes down? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I, in my last job, I used to be a pen tester. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And you're like, if I run this one thing, either I'm going to get exactly what I want or something real bad could happen. And it's not a button we want to push off. In. <laughs> yeah. So with that, you know, luckily, luckily, that was like a week long uh, adventure. Nothing, you know, massively or majorly broke as a result of it. Um, actually, it was very successful. I think I found like a lot of really cool things. But not only, you know, was it successful from a business perspective, it was also mm-hmm. very successful from like a like personally because yeah. this was my first official time like going in and doing what I thought I loved. And I found out I loved it even more. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's always amazing though. It is. And so after that that gave me a lot of confidence in my role. And I know I know cybersecurity as a whole is a lot of like, you know, what if I think some people call it imposter syndrome just because the the landscape is changing so much and I mean I run across, you know, cybersecurity professionals who know a lot of information and I'm like, man, that's I hope I'm like that one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So after that, then involving from an analyst to a infrastructure security engineer, I would say the I would say the pen test is really what kind of gave me that step forward. Once I moved into like officially infrastructure security, at the time we had we had the choice like do you want to be an application security engineer or do you want to be an infrastructure security engineer? And I remember choosing infrastructure security engineering specifically because the team was smaller, meaning I got to like <laughs> build the team around me, which was what's Sounded great in my head at the time. And it's the last words. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, But uh, no, like it was, it sounded great. Uh, I remember going in, I'm like, all right, cool. I get to build my team. Uh, And I did. And I love my team. They're, they're honestly like a second family to me. Like it's really cool coming into work and knowing that everyone around me have been referrals too. And so that's a really cool aspect of it. But once I get into infrastructure security engineering, that's really when I started to understand cloud environment mm-hmm. uh, was like to, and because I had, I had already done the pen test on the corporate network, I had an idea of what this was going to look like, you know, because I know what it looks like physically, but now we get to isolate that to the cloud too. So from there, this is where I started learning what AWS and like GCP look like, like really what our production environment looked like, how do we do, you know, testing and things of that nature. And then it's like, okay, well, once I have a high level overview of this, now let's start putting some of this stuff under the microscope and figure out if it's, you know, as secure as it says it is. So then we started introducing policy scanning across the environments to figuring out how to build those out and learn more coding um, as a result of it, understanding what change management procedures are and kind of how like CICD pipelines work, all stuff that I had heard, you know, years before, but I never really understood or grasped what it meant until I got into that role. 
And so since then, I have also done several audits. Now I'm sure many people are familiar with audit season. They are a very necessary thing for companies. I know they can be very stressful at times too, but one thing I will say is that if there's any time throughout the year you want to learn a, a lot about a company in a short amount of time, it's during an audit. Because you're having to do that within, you know, typically a few weeks and maybe even a few months, the amount of information that gets thrown out in that short amount of time is absolutely fascinating too. So although they are stressful, I've definitely learned a ton from the audit experience. That's really cool. So I guess next we'll go into kind of what you've enjoyed most about working in cybersecurity and how you've taken experience from your past jobs and brought it into this one. Yeah, certainly. So before this, I was really big in the kind of like sales and I thought I wanted to do marketing. I'm often told that I'm, I'm a people person. Like I'm very, mm-hmm. I'm very outgoing. You know, I can go walk in front of a hundred people and talk to them and not have a problem with it. So. I would probably say that's the best thing that I've brought over is being able to reach out to internal teams and being able to understand what they're going through, what their development life cycle looks like and say, hey, you know, if we're trying to introduce something or if we're trying to remediate a problem, having an understanding that like, okay, I know y'all have this project, this project, this project that's going on. How do we put this in there without causing too much disruption? I, I would say is... Probably the best thing that I've, I've definitely brought over from, from previous roles. And I apologize. There was a second part of that question, and it eludes me now. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Uh, so is, what do you enjoy most about working in cybersecurity? Gotcha. So that one's fairly easy. I think I've touched on it a little bit. It's the ever-changing landscape, mm-hmm. I'll say. It's nice to know that I'll wake up in the morning and you're almost always going to learn something new. You can go fix, you know, you can go fix a hundred vulnerabilities one week, a month later, there's a hundred more. Potentially even, you know, 10% of them are already related to something that you already fixed a month before. Knowing that that landscape is always changing means that also like attackers are also finding new ways to exploit things. They're finding, you know, new routes to take or they're finding new ways to do something. And so with that, that's really cool because we get to see you know, you'll see the same package like over and over and constantly pop <laughs> for, yep. you know, something. And I, I mean, I'm not talking over a week. I'm talking over like years. Right. And so with that, it's really cool to see, OK, well, here's an update to some package. And, you know, maybe six months later, it's like, OK, well, that was fixed. Now there's this. So I think I think that's the most fascinating piece of it. And I know a lot of people like to figure out if they want to do red teaming or blue teaming. Personally, I actually really like kind of the purple teaming idea, too, because you get to see both sides. Yeah. So while we're kind of on the topic of purple teams, uh, sharing and collaboration is huge in the entire cybersecurity industry. And that's a big part of purple teams, but it's also just huge in general. Do you want to talk a little bit about how this kind of sharing culture has helped you or you've been able to help somebody else out with it? You know, funny enough, I remember a few years ago, I don't even remember what the topic was, but I was like, man, I wish I wish there was like a community where people just openly shared information yeah. um, at the time. And then luckily, you know, our VP was like, well, there is. And so introduced funny the RSI stack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and personally, that is, I mean, that's the number one thing I love about the RHI sec. Like it's, I remember we joined several months ago and I think it was, it was our first meeting, like the weekly meetings that we do, you know, mm-hmm. everyone was go, everyone was going around talking about or introducing themselves. And I don't remember, 
it's unfortunate I don't remember the person's name, <laughs> but I remember we did get on the topic of OSINT. Um, mm-hmm. And OSINT is something that I've personally always been interested in, just really didn't put a lot of time into it. And I think it was just more because I I thought I knew how easy it was to get information. And I was like, oh, it can't be that hard. And then, I mean, the short answer is yes, but also the longer answer is no. <laughs> uh, yep, yep. <laughs> like, it's, not, it's not only about how quickly can you get information about someone or a target or a company, but also it's like how many data sets or how many data sources can you find this information and then all correlate it back to your target. And so the way that this person explained OSINT absolutely blew my mind. It was something so simple that like all the light bulbs just started going off. They started giving examples in the chat of different websites they use. And, and that like, that was it. Like I was like, wow, that kind of confirms my suspicion that yes, it is easy, but it's also, it could also be very, very intricate. And actually as a result of that, that's actually spun up little ideas like amongst our team of, you know, <laughs> like, okay, how would this actually work, you know, in a real world scenario? And so We've actually played through like some of those scenarios. And, and as a result, I, I feel like our team has not only has gained something new to learn, but also the company itself. We've shared some of the information that we found. And I feel like the security posture of our organization as well has increased. More recently, we've been trying to focus on trying to take the OSINT idea and even like, you know, social engineering attacks that go on in the wild and really trying to threat hunt around that, being able to take that knowledge of what others are seeing in their environments and then saying, okay, well, if we saw this, how would this actually work? So things like that have, again, they not only leveled up myself, I know they've definitely leveled up my team. And I know a few of my team members who are like, when you go threat hunting or even when, you, when you're when you looking for like logs or anything like that, you're like, oh, this looks weird. Like it's putting, it's, I always call it, it's not only putting together a puzzle, it's putting together a puzzle that you don't know what the end pieces look like. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> you do it without the box. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, and in most cases, it's, it's always getting bigger too. Like, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you have a thousand piece puzzle. Well, next week, maybe it's a 5,000 piece puzzle because now you just found out more stuff. And I think one of the, the coolest things about cybersecurity is the more you know, the more you don't know. Like, and I mean that, I mean that in a very sensical way where, you try to answer all these questions, but typically to get to that answer, you find all these little oddities across the way. And then if you're not, if you're, you know, if you're not careful enough, you will go down rabbit holes. And oftentimes you'll go down lots of rabbit holes. <laughs> the path from A to B in cybersecurity definitely ends up taking you down the rest of the alphabet before you circle yep. back. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. And so, but you know, it's all, it's all learning experience. And so again, not only have we leveled up as a company, but I mean, I hope that by going through these exercises, we can not only level up ourselves, but as we become more educated on, on some of these topics that we're then able to share that back to the RHI side community. Yep. Because I know, I know a lot of the questions that we have, there's probably other people that have the exact same question. You know, sometimes you just gotta let the curiosity get the best of you and, you know, dive right in, even if you don't know what it's supposed to look like. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm, it's really nice to see the impact of the RHI sec from the member's point of view and be able to see how that all comes into place. That's really cool. Awesome. Well, that's all the questions I had for you today, Jordan. Thank you so much for coming on and willing to be a part of this. Oh, hey, thank you again. It's an absolute pleasure getting to speak with you. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Jordan and Ian. We're going to take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor, Fortinet. And when we come back, I will chat with Truri and Jim from the Cloud Security Alliance. So stick around. Today's show is brought to you by Fortinet. 
Fortinet provides retailers with top-rated cybersecurity solutions covering the expanding attack surface. Advantages include centralized visibility and management, lower TCO, and top performance. Proven threat protection and seamless fabric integration delivers better, faster response to attacks across the entire network, including point-of-sale systems and other devices carrying sensitive information. And Fortinet helps simplify compliance with PCI DSS and other regulations. As digital innovation and the need to provide always-on customer experiences drive network transformation, retail cybersecurity has become more vital. It's essential to have a security partner that can provide simplified security and networking to keep customers' data safe and enable a superior consumer experience. For more information, contact the Fortinet team at retail at fortinet.com. Here with us today, we have two fantastic people from the Cloud Security Alliance, or CSA, Jim Rivas, co-founder and chief executive officer, and Troy Leach, chief strategy officer. So welcome to both of you. Thank you for joining us on our podcast here. Can you start off by telling us, and I'm Jim, I'm going to direct this to you first, of what the Cloud Security Alliance is, what you do, and kind of how you got started. Absolutely happy to do that. So Cloud Security Alliance, we are a global not-for-profit. Uh, we've been around since 2009, and we're essentially what we like to call sort of the leader of the trusted cloud ecosystem. We're a not-for-profit that develops the best practices, and then we do a lot of education, organizational certification, individual professional certification. And how we came about is in about the 2008 timeframe, there are a few of us sort of looking around and seeing that cloud looked very interesting and this idea of an on-demand allocation of compute versus traditional legacy procurement and just the very slow movement of, of legacy IT that, that we could sort of see this was going to replace it at some point or at least have a very large impact. And so the idea was, hey, why not start creating the best practices for security before it was something that was widely used and adopted so that we would be able to address all of the risk management, compliance, all of those issues. And so we ended up launching it in 2009 with a full set of our version one best practices. And really I haven't looked back, it was just the right timing. And so we got a lot of industry support. And so now we have somewhere close to about 150,000 individual members, and we have about 110 chapters in over 60 countries, and our our work has been widely translated. So we're happy to be part of the community of, of seeing what we can do to look for the where the future issues in cybersecurity may be. And cloud certainly has taken a pretty dominant sort of default IT position right now. So we think the work we're doing is continuing to be very important. It definitely is front and center and one of the key priorities that came out of our 2021 CISO benchmark report as an initiative for our CISOs. And one of the things, you know, with digital transformation moving so quickly, especially with COVID, people moving to the cloud in order to pivot quickly. And we hear a good bit about kind of the risks inherent and setting things up correctly and and staffing on that. And I was wondering, could you talk a little bit about how the Cloud Security Alliance can provide support to folks in those areas or who are kind of grappling with those issues as it deals with cloud security? Absolutely. Yeah. So we we have over 300 research artifacts and a key part of our strategy, which you know, thanks to our corporate members that fund us is we make all of our research freely available just around the world and we contribute it to standards bodies. 
other places. So if you look at things, I'll just like some of our top uh, research artifacts are cloud controls matrix. This is a collection of, of cloud objectives for the security objectives for the cloud, which it ends up looking familiar to a lot of other best practices, but it's, it emphasizes where certain uh, security objectives are, are more important in the cloud. And a good example is like your administrative control. The, the administrators control a lot more in the cloud than did in other places. And so you got to take a little bit more care there. And you got to take more care on things like multi-factor authentication, a lot of different things. So cloud controls matrix is a great way for organizations of all sizes to sort of think through their journey to the cloud. Top threats is another research document. We update it every other year to look at what are the most important threat vectors and risks you need to be worried about. And it, it honestly, the last one we uh, released showed that it's getting to be more and more of the cloud tenant issue. We're getting more and more comfortable with the, what the large cloud providers are able to do. And then finally, our security guidance, the first document we had, we continue to update that. And that's also the foundation for our certificate of cloud security knowledge for individuals. So there's a lot more based on like individual sorts of niche problems you're looking to solve. And, and you can find all of the different research documents on our website. That's great. And we'll make sure we get that website from you guys before we let you go. Uh, Troy, I want to bring you in on this conversation as the chief strategy officer. And a lot of emerging technology coming down the lane, as we all know, it's been out there getting more prominence, things like blockchain, uh, cryptocurrency. And how is, how is the Cloud Security Alliance kind of reaching out and, and, and supporting in these kind of emerging areas as well? Uh, so, you know, you, you've talked, Susie, about something that is, is really fascinating to me and should be fascinating to anyone that's involved in this technology or also uh, securing this type of technology. And Jim mentioned earlier that we are have many different uh, research projects ongoing and different research working groups. And within that, there's several that are focusing on different aspects of cryptography. And we, you mentioned blockchain. And I, I know we are in the, the midst of what they're calling a crypto winter when it relates to cryptocurrency and some of the volatility that we're, we're seeing in that market. But as security practitioners, as leaders of, of retail and hospitality, we really should be looking at the underpinning technology. I'm talking about the uh, DLT uh, digital ledger technology and how that is going to transform our businesses, the way that we operate and engage uh, with our customers and within our organizations going forward. Uh, so blockchain itself has an ability, and I'll, I'll touch on three areas that are not related to cryptocurrency and why CISOs and others should be uh, looking at this. One is around supply chain. I know this has always been in every type of survey I've seen for retailers that a top five, top 10 issue around managing the security of that supply chain. And I think blockchain has an ability for us to be able to track assets across the world as they go. Um, it's not as analog as it was previously. In fact, there was a survey by The Economist that said that retailers, uh, really 83% of people 
interviewed said they struggled with how they track in, in a global supply chain. You know, add to that in the software component, we start talking about information security, we have open source code, and this is becoming a, a very big issue. We see presidential executive orders here in the United States talking about the supply chain and the importance of understanding where the code comes from, who creates the software and, and who manages and updates that. And we had uh, many of the f- folks that are probably listening to this struggle with Log4j and those type of, of issues previously. Well, Log4j is just one type of open source code. And if we look at the volume of three to 4,000 known vulnerabilities in open source today, only 3% of that software has actually been weaponized and turned into some type of, of malware. And I, I think with blockchain, that's one way that we can help to manage the integrity of, of the entire supply chain, including the software integrity itself. A second way is around the automation and smart contracts, I think, will be something in the next five years will be much more commonplace than they are today. I don't want to say it's the majority of, of contracts, but but the ability to eliminate the human error factors, be able to say, if these certain actions take place, that we are going to execute this contract is really, it should be appetizing to many businesses and, and how they operate. And that's the second way where I think blockchain is going to revolutionize. And, and the third is just around well, people are calling the product provenance. So you have these consumers that are asking for more information, especially if you're selling things that like food and dietary requirements or allergens. Uh, you see around the world, people very, very aware of human trafficking and, and slavery issues. And so you look at the U- Europe and their modern slavery act in the UK and these type of things, there's, there's going to be ways for us to better track and demonstrate the integrity of where the supply chain comes from from through blockchain. So we, we could talk about cryptocurrency. I, I think you know that's also another fascinating area, uh, but I recognize that with this volatility, things have changed because earlier this summer, uh, Deloitte published a survey that said 75% of all retailers uh, were going to be able to accept some form of cryptocurrency by the end of 2023. Now, that survey is conducted when things were not in the same state they are in the middle of uh, 2022. So we we have possibly some some latency, but you you see that uh, those organizations, retailers with more than $500 million in revenue, are investing significantly, more than a million dollars in infrastructure in order to accept uh, some form of, of cryptocurrency. So a lot is happening in that particular space. And, and a lot for even if, if an organization's not thinking about cryptocurrency and the acceptance of that as a payment method, they should be thinking about blockchain and the ways that it can benefit the organization. Great. I agree. That's really interesting about the um, this all of the blockchain technologies that you mentioned. Thanks so much. Really interesting. Hey, Jim, how do how does the CSA stay on top of emerging technologies? Do you have a advisory board or how do you keep looking ahead and uh, you know helping keep your organization focused on these important topics and what security can do about them? Yeah, we we have tentacles almost everywhere to go do this, and and you know part of that is this recognition that the the right answers or insights on the future are not necessarily going to come in a top down manner. It can come from the ground up. It can come from very unexpected areas. So we have a startup membership where it gives us really early insights into what um, the funding from a VC perspective is going, like from an angel perspective to see well, how are they looking at things. 
things. The the chapter model gives us some really great insights and also, hey, what are the constraints that different governance models and just different cultures are are bringing to this? And then we also have very much our, our corporate members that are involved that are the sort of the name brands, both in cloud and cybersecurity, that we do have advisory councils of, of them and they provide a, a lot of great insights. And then we just we try we try to look at this. Our philosophy on the research is let's not take years to bake things. Let's go very quickly. Let's be agile and let's go put something out there. It may not be perfect, but it'll give us some, some things to think about and and react on. And so when uh, one person, he's the CTO of Microsoft Azure, Mark Rosinovich, he stated, hey, cloud is nothing but a bunch of APIs at one of our events. And the the thing about that is we continue to see layers of abstraction. So you see things that don't change. Hey, compute, the hardware, the processors, that doesn't change as quickly. Operating systems don't change as quickly. But you create all these different services by building on top of those APIs. And so really understanding that and understanding how you can create on-demand services there that helps us sort of see how technologies might evolve. And then we just got to put this all together with where are the threats, where are the, the, the risks, what are the regulatory bodies wanting to do, because that will impact some of the innovation as well. And so you, you need that sort of commitment of a, a whole of industry to sort of see that from every different perspective. And so we're that model served us pretty well, and so we're going to continue down that path. Yeah, sounds like you're right up right where you need to be in hearing what's coming down the pike. One thing, if we're preparing for our Cyber Intelligence Summit coming up in September, one of the topics that we're going to be talking about with CISOs, and I, I'm going a little off script, but I thought I'd throw it out there to you, is do we need to rethink IR in the cloud? I have no more to put into that topic, but I throw, thought I'd throw it out to either you or Troy or Jim on your thoughts on, is there a reshaping of IR in terms of um, how you deal with it in the cloud? So I'll, I'll give one answer. I'd actually like to hear Troy's as well is, is one, I think that the speed with which we see incidents and the, the, the way that you see zero days move, that is going to require a lot more automation in IR, which can be problematic with all of the forensics that you need to do. And you can create some problems by quarantining things and shutting things off too quickly when, when you do that. But I don't think we have any other choice. And the other part of it that's really complex is this sort of layered model of cloud where you have software as a service residing on top of infrastructure as a service can actually mean that it can be unclear sometimes with the different SLAs and the different contracts who's who's responsible and can you if you're responding quickly to an, an issue as a cloud provider might you be violating one of your SLAs and one of your other agreements because sometimes those things can be in conflict so I think there's some clear technological move fast issues and then there's the governance of IR in the cloud with the the different stakeholders so that that'd be my take on it Right, yeah. yeah, you know, it, it's funny. I, I was, uh, as you're talking, able to pull off the shelf a uh, an incident response booklet that I wrote back in 2005 uh, for American Express and, and how 
things have so much changed. Uh, you know, it had one sheet of, of an incident log of tracking the three or four people that you probably need to contact in, in order uh, when an incident were were to happen. And now, especially with the complexity of the the number of people that might be involved, uh, it is so much dramatically changed. And as Several people on this uh, listening to this may recall I, I formerly was the PCI counsel. Uh, if you look at their the most recent version of their their standard, the DSS version four that came out in March, that put a lot more emphasis on the accountability of of the response. And I think within that incident response. Uh, there needs to be more testing and, and more validity of that testing. So within that new standard, there's a lot more on the authenticity of internal scans, doing those internal penetration tests to, to validate. I think there needs to be a lot more time on the in investment in exercising those IR plans. And I think that's that's where a lot of organizations would probably uh, agree with me that, gosh, if we could just have more time and energy and, and um, budget for we're actually attempting what if an incident were to happen to us rather than spending more time maybe uh, looking at ransomware insurance and, and some of the uh, alternative to that. So those would be my, my two points there as well is, is that there needs to be a lot more execution and then understanding of who and how that incident response plan should actually be performed. Great. Thank you. Thanks. I threw you guys that curveball and you just responded and knocked it out of the park. So thanks very much for that. So I'm going to give you each, uh, before we wrap up, give you opportunity to share anything we haven't covered that you want to make sure we you know, educate our members and, and get them more information about the Cloud Security Alliance. Jim, is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to just make sure they know? Well, I think just to reiterate, here's some just some top things that I've seen are top of mind, which I think are really appropriate for your audience as well as 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 you are like moving more into the cloud, you got to really look at more standards based ways of using assessment tools like what we provide or other people provide rather than creating your own as part of your procurement. It's going to really speed things up and it's just really not feasible for organizations to be doing sort of one off assessments. Uh, the second thing is. We're seeing a lot of lessons learned around organizations that once they, whether they build their cloud internally, build their applications or they're procuring SaaS, is they aren't um, having a continuous sort of check-in with those specific solutions or, or the vendors that they choose. And there's a lot of security that degrades over time. So being more continuous with with your metrics and with checking in with the, the cloud systems you have. And that zero trust, I know it's a real big buzzword right now, but if you go and you step back and you think of zero trust as really more of a philosophy, it's not a product, not a technology, but it's a philosophy to say there's no implicit trust and we got to build our confidence in our systems. That's a great way with any shift you're making to the cloud or partially or, or within a business unit. It's really a good way to sort of recast how you're doing things and build something that's going to have a lot more rigor from a security perspective. So just three things are top of mind right now. Perfect. That's great. Thank you, Jim. Troy, is there anything you'd like to bring up? Yeah, well, I, I like things in threes, too. So I'll, I'll quickly do uh, uh, three other things. First, one, one to emphasize is around the ability to minimize the compliance that 
CISOs and others are, are working through. You know, there's there's 30, 40 different types of attestations and validations that, that people have. And then you add in the cloud complexity and the many different iterations that it creates. One of the things that I'm I'm really pleased that CSA has done is is mapped to dozens of, of different frameworks that includes PCI, SOC 2, ISO 27000, GDPR, and, and all these other relevant things that CISOs in the retail and hospitality space are, are having to address. And it provides a roadmap and some type of affirmation that cloud implementations, they are, are doing it right and are consistent with other frameworks. So maybe it's not having to repeat and demonstrate two dozen d- different times. Maybe there's an ability to use the star registry and, and those types of exercises to help minimize any type of uh, duplicity that, that they're seeing. And that's a really important, especially because we start to see all the SaaS providers, payments as, as well as other services in, in the cloud and having their ability to have a very clear understanding of how they share that uh, model is important. Uh, the second part is making sure that the internal staff uh, understand that as well and, and seeking different types of education. There's some really great courses. CSA has one and a certificate of learning called the CCSK. And, and it provides just a fundamental knowledge of the basic security requirements of, of various, it's vendor neutral and, and various different types of implementations and understanding even what those are, having a basic common nomenclature and, and, and how you need to be approaching this. Because that's when, I, when I've seen several CISO retail surveys and, and, and general CISO surveys recently they all have been their biggest thing about moving to the cloud is, is the concern about the security and their their staff's understanding of that and being able to implement it because if you look at the risk the implementation is where things sometimes break down when you see these data breaches is is organizations have unwittingly just checked a, a unchecked a checkbox and all of a sudden mm-hmm. Um, they've created a, a security in the matter of uh, issue and within a matter of seconds. So being able to understand that is, is important. And the third thing that I'll, I'll mention is is there's a lot of phenomenal research things people can and join and, and contribute on an individual level as well as at, at a corporate level. But one of the areas, uh, just going back to cryptography and just putting something on the radar, not not something maybe for this year, but in the future, is uh, there's a lot of work being done about post quantum cryptography and where we are with the algorithms that exist today that can break current cryptography if if quantum computing was readily and easily available. And so being able to forecast and look in the future and being able to invest in what are the ways that we can safeguard ourselves today and protect ourselves so it doesn't become a major investment or prevent us from investing right now in, in something that is going to be vulnerable in just a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And so I highly encourage people to look. There's at least three papers that I've read at Cloud Security Alliance on post-quantum uh, cryptography. And Jim mentioned they're all free to download. So I'd encourage people just to be have that on the radar and to be thinking about that within their organizations as well. Well, that's great. Hard to say, but good to know. Post-quantum cryptography. <laughs> I, I practiced uh, for five minutes before this. <laughs> I'm sure we'll shorten it to like PQC or something like that down the line. Um, well, no, we're, we're acronyms. We It's already PQC, so oh. you're absolutely right. Yep. There you go. 
I'm ahead of the curve here. Good job. Jim, how about the website address? And we'll we'll try to post it at www.cloudsecurityalliance.org. Long name, but great results. Yeah, and, uh, and straightforward. I like it. Well, it's always great talking to both of you and uh, really appreciate you sharing what the Cloud Security Alliance has to offer, not only in the cloud as uh, retail and hospitality folks continue those, that migration, but also, Troy, to your point on what to be paying attention to down the pike and, and, and some good reads and some good things to stay on top of. I'm sure we'll check in with you guys again. So thanks very much for your time. Thank you, appreciate thank it. Thank you, Susie. Thanks, Susie, and thank you to all of our guests today, Jordan Bodily, Troy Leach, and Jim Reeves. Be on the lookout for the next episode of the RHI Stack Podcast, where we'll be sharing a preview of what you can expect at the upcoming summit in Plano, Texas. Thanks, everybody.